morning, everyone, and welcome to the close of the series, and with that, Communion Sunday. And the last thing that Jesus did after he had his last supper, instigating the New Testament communion, that sacrament which we celebrate everywhere today, the last thing he did before he went to Gethsemane, where he would prepare his heart to go to the cross and fulfill his mission, was to wash his disciples' feet. And in that act, he would leave them an incredible, unforgettable, incomprehensible legacy about how they were to make an eternal difference once he was gone. And it was just mind-blowing to them because foot washing was, was simply not what they expected. So we go to our opening text, John chapter 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. At this point, they are blowing their mind. What is he doing? He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, well, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. For if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It is not an understatement to say that at this point, the disciples were wide-eyed and stunned. Seasons come, and I believe that prophetic season in the time clock of God is shifting. Seasons come when God calls us to do something good so we can grab onto something great. He calls us to let go of something good so we can grab onto something great. Let me rephrase that again. He calls us to lay aside something good so he can give us something great. Jesus first lay aside his full divinity, the garment of his full divinity in heaven so he, be, could, he could become our savior on earth. You think about that. And with that, we have the advent of Christmas. Now he was about to lay his life aside to tie himself to our salvation on earth. And the subsequent crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, it gives us Easter, the other bookend of celebrations to the coming of the Son of God. Life consists of seasons. Do you, do you realize that? Isn't that true? Life consists of seasons that call for us to let go of one assignment in order to serve another. Life is just a, an ongoing perpetual evolution of cycles. And the worst thing that we can do is try to hang on to the past season when the next season is upon us. And prophetically, the seasons are shifting. Next week, we start a new series, 
entitled Discerning These Times, because the seasons in God's time clock is shifting. I came back from a conference, our National Leaders Conference in Orlando, two weeks ago, and prophetic voices, not only in our family of churches, but worldwide, are saying that the balance of the future of the United States of America, because it has been given a gospel heritage to share the Word of God with the world, is hanging in the balance because she has not done exactly what God has called her to do. And it is time for the church in the country to rise up, or this could be the last chance. And the Lord will take His hand off of our country, and He will move on and get His agenda done another way. Don't miss it. Next week, we talk about living with a sense of urgency, because everyone's coming back from vacation, school's starting, right, next week, and though people come back from Disneyland, Disney World, Vegas, and every place else. So we want to make sure we're here in order to launch a prophetic series that will chart our course moving forward, because it is not, and this was the theme in our conference in Orlando, it is not a time for business as usual. Well, the disciples knew this was not going to be business as usual. He realized that Jesus would leave them, but that he would leave them with the lesson of foot washing is not what they could comprehend. Simply not what they could comprehend. But we have to understand this. We sometimes have to let go of something familiar in order to grab onto something greater. And Jesus' call to serve is also our assignment to own. Okay, let's look at verses 12 and 15. Again, he says, he asked them a question, right? Do you understand what I have done to you? Of course they didn't. But he asked the question anyway to cause them to begin to think at a deeper level. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. The great apostle Paul encapsulates the gospel narrative of Jesus laying aside his divinity this way in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind or this mindset, this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus could have at any time exacted the full measure of his divinity to prove that he was God. But he, in order to become our Savior, limited the expression of his power for selected strategic times because that was the Father's will. He only could become our Savior if he became fully God and fully man. So for the first time in that 33 and a half year parenthetical season, for the first time ever, he was not just fully God, but he was fully God and fully man. And he has been that way ever since. That's why when we go to heaven and we see Jesus, we see our Father, the essence of Almighty God in human form still with the nail prints in his hands, still with those nail prints in his feet, fully God, fully man, fully a mystery. And yet, to become our Savior, Jesus had to lay aside all the entitlements of his full divinity in order to purchase our salvation. And obviously, 
He died. He gave his life. He suffered. He bled so that we might be saved. And for all of eternity, we will be grateful. And Paul is saying here, we have to be willing, willing to empty ourselves. I mean, let go again of something familiar in order to grab onto something greater. So before he went, he goes to the cross. After communion, the Last Supper, he dramatically imparts a mandate to serve others. Dramatically, because he plays it out through foot washing. Because washing the feet of others was the humblest of tasks given to the lowest of household servants. The custom of that day, when you went to somebody's house, you washed their feet. It was thorough. You washed on the top, you washed on the bottom, you washed the heel, and get this, mamas will tell you, you wash between the toes. Oh, yes. And people who were ticklish had a problem. They had a problem, and they gave a problem. I've been in foot washings, okay, because that is the expression of humility. I get ticklish. How many of you get ticklish? See, the issue with the foot washing is that if you're ticklish, you laugh. If you're ticklish, you lash. And when you get between the toes and the bottom of your feet, there's humility, all right, because you're laughing, you're splashing, and you're kicking, and you could injure the person washing your feet. Next week, right here, we're going to have foot washing. And you people in this service, unlike the first service who began to laugh in unison, actually believe me for that moment. <laughs> okay, come back to church. We're not having foot washing. But in the spirit, we are, and we should always come with a humble heart of worship for our Lord. Can I hear an amen in the house? So, Jesus was saying, the lowest or the lower ground precedes and exceeds taking the higher ground. See, because the context of that day was the Roman Empire, an empire that ruled the world as the most powerful entity for nearly a thousand years. To make it relative, America is not even 300 years old yet. And it was the superpower. And Jesus was saying, the way up is not control. The way up is not to go higher. The way up is to go lower. And he was flipping a script. There was no lower, more humble presentation of a servant than to be a foot washer. And this was Jesus, who they viewed as the Messiah, blowing their mind, because every messianic expectation of the Jews was that he was a leader, he was a ruler, he was a spiritual icon, a military power, and Jesus was washing feet. So you know they had brain freeze and brain fart all in one. That's why Jesus had to blow their minds. But I think that for those of us who come to the Lord, for those of us who are seeking the Lord, know this, our Lord defies every expectation. What we think God should do God does the opposite quite often. And when we don't align our expectations with the, way in, in the, with the way God is moving, we miss Him. 
And Jesus wanted to make sure they understood that everything he had done was to serve, that the way up was the way down. He was saying, don't look at how the, the Roman culture lives. Look at how I lived. Look at what I'm doing to you right now, okay? So taking the simplest steps to serve others can make the dif greatest difference in the lives of others. And often God watches to see what we do for others before he does for us. And then we're going to bring it down. We'll close with this. The promise of blessing, because God promises to bless. The promise of blessing follows the activation of serving. We know God in this series this month. We've gone through going again, brushing again the essence of who we are. Know God, follow God, discover your purpose, and make a difference by helping others do the same. In other words, it's never just about us. It's all about God working through us, but not just making a difference, making an eternal difference. So look again at verses 16 and 17. Jesus is saying, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if, it's a conditional conjunctive, if you do them. It's not enough just to know what you should do. It's important that you do what you know to do. And the Lord said, then there is the activation of blessing as you engage in serving. Jesus spent his three and a half, year with his, three and a half years with his disciples saying, don't let it be about you. Let it be about them. And if you let it be about them, I'll take care of you. It was flipping the script. Again, in the Roman Empire, it was take what you can take. It was beat down, intimidation, one-up accumulation. Jesus is saying, don't live like that. The kingdom of God is not that way. So in verses 25 through 28, 20, 28 of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew and elsewhere, Jesus in, amplifies. He says, he, the Bible says, Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. He's got the Roman Empire in mind. They're oppressors of the Jewish people. And their great one exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Slave, meaning the word bond slave or love slave, where slaves could be free. They, would, they could be granted their freedom. Slavery was in the economy. But they chose not to because of a love relationship with their master. And they would be marked for it either in their earlobe or somewhere on the body, a stigmata, something that would say, I have been given my freedom, but I chose not to be free because I love my master. And he's saying, this is greatness. He says, to give yourselves away in the service of others, this is greatness. Now think, Jesus changed eternal destinies because he laid down his life as a humble servant. I mean, washing feet is one thing, dying on the cross for things you've never done, that is incomprehensible. It took a sinless Savior to die for sinful humanity because it took the perfect sinless blood of a person who was fully God and fully man to purchase our salvation. Only Jesus could have fulfilled that. We will be eternally grateful for that. That is why when we come, we worship Him. And when we come, we don't hear the preacher first tell us how to live. We come to worship the Lord who gave us the life that we live. And we exalt him.
And Jesus, again, he was countering the entitled self-serving culture of that day, which is the culture we have today. And Jesus is making it clear. We are called to make an eternal difference by serving in our own unique ways. In our church, uh, we have Keone Simon. We just planted our church in Kaneohe. He's a member there. And Keone just, just, he said, you know what? Rather than talk about people in government, I may as well serve in government. And rather than talk about them, I'm going to talk to them and be part of that mix. We'll talk about this a little later next week. But God is calling people to serve. And I get serving in the church. We need, that's important. I mean, there are supply chain shortages. There are labor shortages. But you, are, you know there are no shortages in the kingdom of God. And as long as we serve, as long as we give, as long as we take ourselves off of our, our eyes, off of ourselves, keep them on him and on others, God will always take care of us. Always. But when we begin to suck inward, when we begin to step on others, when we begin to get what's ours, and we begin to be self-absorbed, God goes, okay, let me pull back from you a little bit. Because you're living like them, you're going to experience things like them. But if you let me take care of you, if you will let me truly be the Lord and do the counterintuitive thing and give your lives away and, you, and, and, and make it your goal to make a difference in the lives of others, by my grace, I will move through your life. And he said, here, here's what he says. He said, I attribute blessing, prominence, and greatness to those who embody the spirit of serving. He says, greatest are those who serve. I want to highlight one thing. I heard Pastor Paris talk about this in the first service. And I thought I'd just major on that in this service. You know, we have been a serving church throughout the pandemic. We've been known for that. Food bank, blood bank. First church ever to host a blood bank, from what I understand. We've done our own food bank, then partnered with the Hawaii Food Bank. But we have sensed the season change, and so at least for now, we're backing off of those very legitimate, and by the way, those of you who gave to our school supply drive, thank you so very much. Your generosity is making a huge difference in the keiki, in the local families around us, because the need is great. The gratitude is effusive. But we've sensed the Lord leading us to focus again on how this church is built and how Jesus built his church. Jesus invested into 12 men. And he says, the plan to change the world and bring an eternal difference on the planet was through, my, was through a small group of 12 disciples. He had 12 disciples in three and a half years. Those 12 disciples grew to 72 disciples. And by the time Jesus went to the cross, there were 500 followers. In three and a half years, God himself couldn't build a mega church that a lot of celebrity preachers are building. They're speaking in conferences because you can build a, a crowd of over of thousands in three and a half years. That's not a church. That's a crowd, and there is a difference. You make disciples. You don't attract followers. You don't build a church on likes and loves. Ouch, social media people cringed just now, everywhere. You know that Pastor Paris and I are social media midgets. <laughs> Look, I know, some of you are cringing, okay? I, 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 selfies are okay. But 
let me make a little humorous suggestion. If you're in every selfie, that's too much. Just a little thought there. Just a little thought there. Maybe just take some pictures where you're not in the picture, and you, people will see God in the picture instead. It's just a thought. So what we say is small groups, looking at the example of Jesus and the early church, where they had the biggest revivals and the birth of the church, we need to go simple, relational, and connective. So we said, right now, the one thing, the most important thing, is for everybody, every week as much as possible, to be in small group. Because the number one need right now in Hawaii, besides affordable housing, is the issue of mental health. Now, I have talked to people in high places here about that that are outside of the circle of the church. And one person said, forget about COVID people being in the hospital. And he said, in fact, one medical person told me, even the people that have COVID in the hospital are not there for COVID because this variant is very weak and the subvariants will be very weak moving forward. He says, they're there for mental health issues. And it's taking up hospital beds. The AMA, American Medical Association, says 66% of hospitals in our country are filled with mental health issues. And every professional therapist, psychiatrist, and psychologist will tell you that the way forward in saving lives and making a difference in people's lives individually, maritally, and in a family is through a small group of safe people who get together regularly where you can unpack life, and I might add what makes a biblical small group different, a relational discipleship small group different, is you do it through the lens of the supernatural Word of God in which lies the answers to every life problem. And so we've been saying this right now. Everybody, get into a small group. Let us help you get there. If you don't have one yet, no condemnation, please. And if you go, go weekly, but also if you're there, invite others. Because stories abound. I'm talking about others outside of the walls of the church because that's where the need is. This past week, I had lunch with a person who not that long ago came that, not that, long ago, came that close to taking his life. And you never discover these things unless you have a moment you sit down with them and you're eating together. And all of a sudden, they feel safe enough, and the conversation that was going this way and shallow begins to go this way and deep. And in the realm of that trust comes the truth. And then you bring them into a small group where they don't have to process their junk there, but just being with others, you learn from each other. You're just not learning from the leader. You're learning from each other. And so I, I, sometimes people tell me, yeah, but I don't, I, I don't need, I'm good. I have wonderful mental health. Here's my answer to you. It's not about you. You go for them to wash their feet. Because in a group, you show up because they need something you have. You say, no, no, I don't have anything. You don't understand. I don't. No, you don't understand. 
you don't understand what they need to understand. Because if you understand what they need to understand, you realize, yes, you don't understand, but you can understand. And I don't understand what I just said. You, you, you have no idea. Sometimes you share things that are so simple. For them, it's life-changing. It may be just a seed. Sometimes you pray something. You go, I don't know how to pray. I don't pray very well. I don't sound like Pastor Paris or Pastor Billy. Okay, or Pastor Camille. Nobody sounds like Pastor Camille. Okay. <laughs> but you don't get it. They don't care about that. The Lord anoints people in the group, and he puts his hand on somebody to pray something in a certain simple way, and it packs a clout that the more eloquent prayer warrior doesn't have. So we wash each other's feet as we come together like Jesus did in his group. I'm going to throw this out, this consideration. I teach pastors this. He had 12 disciples. How do you think they got the 72 disciples? Was Jesus spending time with 72 people? No. Those 12 people discipled six people. Small group. That's how they got the 72. How the 72's job, I'm sure, they were working on the 500 followers, which is like a ser this service. So that weeks later, when 3,000 people came to the Lord on the day of Pentecost, those 500 people took care of six people each because 3,000 people got saved. How are you going to keep 3,000 people? That's how the church was born, unless you use small groups. And the Bible says historically that's what happened. The church was a network of small groups. That's how we got here today through centuries. We're simply following the path where Jesus said, you see the American church where it's all about the celebrity preacher, it's all about the big, huge gatherings. Jesus goes, no. It's really about washing feet in small groups where you can have relationships, especially after a pandemic that has separated us. Trust me, if we move forward in this way, we're going to see great things. All right, let me call up a very good friend of mine, one of my heroes and one of my former middle school students when I used to be a school teacher. How many of you remember your middle school years? How many would like to forget your middle school years? Body odor, pimples, you know, all of those kinds of things breaking out. And I could say other things I won't about that phase. Will you, will you welcome Vincent Roberts? Six feet, six inches tall. And I first met, met Vincent. And he's our spiritual leader in Vietnam. I first met Vincent when he walked into my middle school class, which, by the way, Pastor Paris was in, making trouble somewhere in that class. And I thought to myself, this guy is tall. He was 7th or 8th grade, and Vince was already like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, the first thought that I should have had was, how can I better educate him? How can I get him closer to the Lord? That wasn't the first thought. The first thought was, how can he help our basketball team? <laughs> and he did. Uh, we ended up winning the league championship, dethroning a team that hadn't lost for three years. And part of the reason 
was Vince. Having got that nonsense out of the way, Vince, let's meet your family. Well, no, before we meet your family, let's meet you in a previous life. So here you are, high-ranking military officer, seeing the world, being exposed to secrets and secret locations and beautiful places most of us will never, ever get to see. Life was good, money's flowing, influence, authority. I mean, you had it all, but the career wasn't your calling. Your career pivoted into your calling. So your calling is now seen, first of all, in your family, because you pastor them first. Obviously, you've done a good job there. And there's your spiritual family. This is in Vietnam. You're a white man. You're a tall white man. And you became spiritual leader to short yellow people. You went from the military into becoming a missionary. How in the world did that happen? And why did you make that shift? Because it's, it's a humongous shift. You went from being one of those authoritarian officers, which that's how the structure is, to washing feet in Southeast Asia. Wow. That's, that's what, my next, what my book is going to be about. <laughs> how did this all happen, you know? Um, I, uh, wow. Well, I grew up under the tutelage of Pastor Norman and had uh, Pastor Paris as my classmate and uh, just, just uh, graduated, went on to follow in my father's footsteps uh, to, the, to the T, actually. Yeah. Just huh. the kind of work we did was the same. And, um, but, you know, I always had a desire to, to, to go beyond this. So I, I did get to travel a lot to a lot of places, you know, Americans hadn't been in 50 years, and there was a lot of excitement in that. But whenever I would go, I'd say, okay, Lord, what is your mission for me? You know, I've got my orders to go here and do this, but what, what, what is it you have for me? And without fail, every time God would connect, connect so, with so, so you knew your career almost was like a cover for your calling. Yes. I right. Knew, the the I military was, was like a missionary sending agency. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I, I would travel to Thailand. I'd ride ships to China and Russia. And always God had opportunities that I was seeking. I really sought. I said, Lord, this is not just for my bosses. This is for you. What, what do you have for me? Where can you say the calling actually rang clearly in your spiritual ears? Where did the calling become clear to oh, you? Well... I was um, on a business trip in Beijing, and um, I had some free time, so I was kind of prayer walking around Tiananmen Square. I was just praying for the, the you know, persecuted church. I was just praying for the government, the country, and um, the, the Lord's inaudible voice just struck me. And it's happened twice in my life where he said, I'm going to prepare to send you in uh, 2008. Okay, did you get, how many of you would love to hear God's audible voice? So I actually didn't believe Vince when he said it in the first service because he didn't listen to my audible voice when I was his teacher. So this is true. God's was clear, that clear. 
it was very resonating and it came out of the blue and I was just not thinking about myself at that time. I was praying for China. I was praying for the, the persecuted church in China and God said, I, I got a plan for you and it's going to be coming soon. I mean, I'm sitting here and so that's, that's a big change. The season had shifted. You went home and told Trina, your wife, how did she take it? Uh, well, my, my wife has done some <laughs> missions work uh, with YWAM in, during her college years, and um, I just approached it gently. I said, honey, how would you like to spend more time with me? Because <laughs> I, was, I was working really hard, you know, and coming home late, long hours on weekends, and then I would travel away from home a lot. That's and true. she's like, a yeah. lot more time with you? Okay, what, what are we talking about? <laughs> okay, and then you said? I said... The Lord's called us to go. We're going to leave Hawaii. We don't know where yet, but we're going to go. And then she said, okay, uh, well, let's, let's begin seeking God where we're going to go. What you was know? it, Vietnam? What was, Vietnam what, was. What, why did you pick Vietnam? What, I mean, what, what was the Vietnam? Not on our radar. I didn't pick it. I, it was not on our radar. I brought home a big map of Asia, and we began praying over it as a family, including the children, just pray, praying the Lord of the harvest to send the laborers, you know, and say, Lord, if you want to show us where you want us to be, we want to be in your will. We don't want to just throw a dart or, yeah. or just choose mm -hmm. based on our preferences. Mm -hmm. We want to go mm -hmm. where you, you've got people we need to meet, pe places we need to be. Yeah. And, he, and Vietnam started rising off the map, and I'm like shaking my head saying, Lord, I've been around Asia, but that part of the world, no, I don't know nothing other than my father was yeah. on an aircraft carrier offshore. That's you, because, you know, you're, you know I, my travels when I go to Asia, they don't like Americans. They think we're arrogant, entitled, you know, full of ourselves, you know, and all of that power and wealth. And you look like an American. I mean, when I go to Asia, they don't think I'm an American, right? But you, when you, you're 6'6 six, six American. So when you go to countries, it's like, American! I am an American! <laughs> so, Vietnam. How was the entry there? Because here you, you must be sticking out because they're short, you're tall. You're white, they're yellow. I might as well be eight feet tall there. Seriously, eight feet tall. And when I go into elevators, little children hide behind their mommies and cry because uh, this is a giant in the elevator. It's crazy. Uh, it's, uh, people stop you know, to want to take pictures with me on the side of the road. And <laughs> so a little bit of celebrity there, a little bit of fear. Many of them ask if I'm Russian, uh, big Russian or something. Was the entry smooth? The first six months was hard, <laughs> really, really hard, especially for my wife, because um, we had our five kids with us, and uh, they were young. They were from ages four to 14, and had tough times. I mean, like, uh, no Costco, no car, no, you know, Pokeballs anymore. <laughs> it, was, it was good Vietnamese food, but it was difficult in the beginning. You know, bugs problem, heat problems, hottest summer in 50 years problem, and just, just adjusting for my wife and I. It was just, just challenging at what first. About, what about the kids? I mean, you talk family of seven, you have five kids, Vince. I mean, how was it for them? I mean, they say often the biggest change is for the children. You know, my kids, we, we, we let them know about this in advance. We were saying, you know, we're going, we're, we don't know anyone. 
And so we're going as a team. You guys are going to be actively participating in what God has us doing here. So you guys are all our teammates. We're, our first services are going to be our family, you know. And they adjusted well. You know, kids are resilient creatures. You know, when our house flooded, uh, my kids stripped off their clothes and started slip and sliding around the house, you know. <laughs> Uh, they ran outside and played with the Vietnamese kids, cops and robbers and stuff. You know, they just had, they, they did great. They did really good. They assimilated kind of right in there. Now, what's interesting is you went from a career in the military, but then it was the next step was the marketplace. Marketplace and missionary working together. Explain that. Well, it, back in 2010, um, the country is more restrictive than it was today. It's not open today, that's for sure, but it was more restrictive. So I had to have a purpose to show up there and say, I'm going to live here. So I was a coffee, as a passionate hobby here in Hawaii, I roasted my own coffee. I traveled to Kona for the coffee festivals. I love roasting, grinding, you know, selling coffee to my friends and stuff, you know, like a drug dealer. By the way, uh, Vince... Vince's coffee, if you, if you drink his coffee, you won't be able to sleep tonight. I mean, you actually get high on his coffee, all right? And uh, that's another story. You, you, you roast your own beans, you press it every day, everything. Phenomenal. But that has worked for you because a lot of times we say when people go on vacation or they exercise their vocation, if you look deep enough, there's a mission, even on your vacation and in your vocation, you are the living embodiment of that. I mean, there's certain things I can't say because it is a restricted country that I, that's how I'm self-editing right now. A lot of things that I want to ask, we can't share. Um, no, 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 but no, my, there's other questions I want to ask, yeah. Um, here's a good one. How do you feel the people of Vietnam have made a difference in your life? Obviously, the cry to come, we need the Lord, we need salvation. But what ways can you feel like living there 12 years now? You know, uh, how do you feel like they've made a difference in your life and the life of your family? Uh, well... My heart is, and home now is in Vietnam, 12 years uh -huh. living there. And these people who've come to faith, and even those who haven't yet, hmm. are in my heart. And there is a love for these people. I, I can't explain it, you know. I, I know we're in the right place. Trina and I have these guys who are my kids' ages and even younger. I'm considered older uncle in Vietnam because I'm older than most of the parents of the young people I'm, I'm reaching out to as a, as a, in, our, in our church fellowship. So um, I, I have a family there, a spiritual family. My kids have all gotten old and are leaving, you know, to go to university. Some are working now. I've only got one, you know, one left. But I've got so many kids in front of me that I love seeing in small groups, at church. You know, it's just my heart. It's just so, so full of love for these people. Mm -hmm. That's, it's just changed my wife and I. We, we just have wow. this spiritual family, like I'm a, a father 
to, to so many of these young people. You know, we, we have that scripture, right, Vince? God so loved the world. But in, uh, literally, you've traveled the world. And you now, you lead a people from another nation. And you realize God didn't just make them one or a few colors. He made them in every color and hue of every, every tribe and nation. That's powerful. How do you feel like you and Trina and, the, and, and the, your family, as well as your church, have made a difference in Vietnam? Okay, we're not talking about a very easy country to reach. But, and let's put up a picture again of just part of their church here, just to give you a visual. Okay, and there you are. There you, oh, okay, I thought, man, you're really tall, but you're standing on a stage over there, right? Okay, okay. How do you feel like you've made a difference there? You've heard the Lord send you. Now, reflecting over 12 years, what kind of difference do you feel like you've made? Well, you know, the guy, let's see, where is he at? The guy with the mask on on the left side, uh, he's, my, he's my brother. I mean, he lived with our family when he was single for, for two years, and uh, now he's married, and has a child, his wife is standing up there in the back, and, you know, just seeing their growth, their lives changed for the gospel, and how they are now changing other people's lives, and the maturity and the growth in their lives just strengthens me, and it's giving me that peace to know that, you know, the succession plan is coming, mm -hmm. you know, and then they are going to take this church so much further than, than where I just started it, you know? I, I know that local Vietnamese are going to be reaching many more. I, ex I anticipate church plants out of this church, and I'm excited, really excited for the future. You know what's uh, an amazing thing to me is that you're a missionary and a marketplace missionary, in part of Vietnam, where many, many, many American lives were lost during the Vietnam conflict. And for some people, that PTSD lasts till this day. But I, I think to myself, what if Christianity had flooded Vietnam? It would have been a totally different story. The same was said about Japan. What if the gospel had gotten to Japan not after Hiroshima, but before Hiroshima? Would we even have had a conflict? Thank you for going to a hard place, maybe a place where vets would go, why do you go there? But you're, made, you're making a difference. Talk to, us, talk to us about us. How can this apply to us? Parting shot. You know, you don't have to go to a foreign country to be an ambassador for Christ. You know the scripture, we are all called yeah. to be Christ's ambassadors wherever yeah. we're at. And for, you know, I went... I went overseas like at 42, and, but the years between, you know, college and uh, actually being sent was my mission field, you know. I worked with the military. They were my mission field, and I have friends all over the world now who pray for me, support our family's mission, and it's because I was a missionary and an ambassador to the people in my work, in my neighborhood, and mm -hmm. my family. Mm -hmm. So... Be ambassadors for Christ, folks. I can't emphasize that enough. I don't know what title to call him, but because we can't say certain Vincent Roberts, okay? Vincent Roberts. Thank you, thank you. Youngest son, Riley, 
may play volleyball for UC Irvine and play against the two-time national champion, University of Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. Great story. You know, and I think the greatest testimony for Vincent Roberts is he's got a beautiful family. All of them love Jesus. You know, sometimes pastor's kids go south or spiritual leader's kids go south or Christian parents' kids go south. His kids went north. And uh, I think that's the Your flock of your family is probably the greatest testimony. In my mind, I still... I still see you walking in as that gangly middle school student. And if somebody told me back then through prophecy, you see that kid there who passes gas in class all the time? <laughs> Some guys do it accidentally. He did it intentionally. <laughs> that kid would become a world changer and a world traveler. I would have said, what have you been smoking? <laughs> Talk about flipping a script. So, Vincent, thank you for washing feet. We're a people that's God's, not necessarily your own to begin with, but they've become your own. We're going to go to our Last Supper communion moment now. Pastor